Well, what does God require? This is the title of our sermon series. This is shaping the conversation we're having as a church, these beginning last week and continuing this week and the following two weeks. As we're talking about how do we address and understand racism and racial injustice, and we're basing it from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And so um, I want to read our passage this morning. Micah 6, verse 8. Micah, this prophet, is speaking into the anxieties of God's people as they're afraid of the coming, coming Assyrian empire. But Micah says, no, there's injustice in the among the people of God. He says, uh, he, God, has told you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord really wants from you. What does the Lord require? What does he really want? He wants you to carry out justice, to love faithfulness, and to live obediently before your God. Micah says, here's what God really wants. Here's what he requires. It's action. To do justice, to love chesed, mercy that we'll talk about next week, and to walk humbly with God. This week, we want to focus on what does it mean to carry out justice? What does it mean to do justice? And, and what I found is it's, this is a confusing topic, topic for many Christians. Many have been taught, unfortunately, that justice is actually um, not a part of the gospel. I mean, they especially want to tie it to social justice today. And some of it gets, can get down to semantics, but they have a poor understanding of biblical justice. And so that's what we're going to look at. What is biblical justice? I want to share five things. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be brief. <laughs> five core tenets of biblical justice. Let's do it. What is biblical justice? First, justice is a reflection of God's character. Biblical justice is not just a side project of God. It is of the utmost, highest is there another word, uh, most exalted priority for God? Justice, as we said last week, is not an elective. It's a requirement. Micah says, what does the Lord really want? To do justice. That's what he really wants. Jesus reiterates us. In fact, Jesus, in this passage in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has Micah in mind when he says this. He confronts the religious leaders of his day. He says, whoa. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> this is Jesus saying, listen and watch out. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what are they? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus is saying, look, you've done your sacrifices, but you missed the weightier matters. You missed God's priorities. You were worried about this while God was worried about justice. My friends, I mean, we, we got to hear that. This means you can go to church. You can, you can give faithfully. You can serve. You can lead a group. You can do discipleship. You can read your Bible. You can memorize the whole thing. You can miss the heart of God. Justice is of the utmost priority for God. If Jesus were to show up at your city group, that would be pretty intimidating. <laughs> um, you know, it's like 
when when you're around someone who you feel is is uh you know knows more of the Bible than you do, um, and you just almost like don't know how to talk a little, you know, you, you use a little hyper spiritual language, and um, you know, if Jesus shows up at your group, I'm pretty. I think we have a pretty good understanding of what he's going to talk about. It's going to be justice. That's his passion. In fact, God even just identifies it. He says in or Psalm 68, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, that God is, is so, he's personally tied to justice. It is a way that he self-describes himself. If you were to introduce me and, you know, like, what would you say? Oh, I'm Jay, I'm husband to... Uh, Megan and father of uh, Bennett, Jack and Owen and pastor at Scarlet City. You know, God, when you're introducing him, he connects it to justice. God takes it personal. And um, and that's part of the reason why there's a problem today in the white evangelical church, because justice is not one of the core tenets of evangelicalism. Historians and even contemporary scholars, they call they note four pillars of evangelicalism. Here they are, the four pillars. The Bible is the, author, the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we have the authority of the Bible. We have evangelism. Third, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. That's penal substitutionary atonement, one view of the atonement. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone and their, as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Um, I'm, among, I'm a part of a group of, of pastors and local leaders uh, who have been discussing race and racial injustice. And, and one vivid conversation I remember, we were talking about why, why is justice not core to, to many white evangelical churches? And here's why. It's not one of the core tenets. Justice is one of the core tenets of God. So we need to be about it. And that leads to the next question of how would we define it? Biblical justice. Uh, Biblical justice is giving people what they are due, both prosecution and protection. Justice is relating to people as image bearers of God. And as an image bearer of God, by your very nature as a human being, you are owed equal uh, prosecution under law and you are owed equal protection. I want to read, you know, justice is all throughout the Bible. Let's look at each genre in the biblical text and listen to how it talks about justice, who it equates the need for to experience justice. Listen, in Deuteronomy, in the Pentateuch, here's um, Deuteronomy chapter 10. He, God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, God, he's always bringing it back to the redemption, to the deliverance that they had. God brings justice for the fatherless and widow and the sojourner. A psalm, a number of psalms speak to the justice of God. Here's Psalm 146. God, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoner free, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. You see him lifting up who the systems of 
and just have oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, upholds the widow and fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Uh, the prophets, all throughout the prophets, all of them, Amos, Isaiah, I mean, really our, our most clearest critique of injustice is found in the prophets, a critique that Jesus continues into his ministry. We'll read some from Zechariah 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. The biblical, the Hebrew term for justice is mishpat, and it, it brings with it the idea of, of justice in the sense of proper, equitable prosecution, but it also brings with it uh, equitable protection. That justice is both punishment for wrongdoing and that that is carried out um, equitably among nationalities and races and socioeconomic statuses. But also justice, is, it's not just punishment, but it's protection. It's lifting people up. That's why we see here what one pastor called the four the quartets of vulnerability, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. These were people who in the ancient Near East were most vulnerable. They were the ones who didn't have access to power and protection. And so God, seeing, seeing their vulnerability, sends and commissions his people to protect them. And he calls that justice. Because when God looks at you and me, when God looks at people, he doesn't see some people more worthy of protection. He doesn't see some people more worthy of, of proper and fair representation in a court of law. He doesn't see some people more worthy of food. He doesn't see some people more worthy of work. He sees everybody, everybody worthy. You know, Black Lives Matter, that statement should, that's like the bare minimum. Black Lives Matter, well, of in the eyes of God, they don't, Black Lives don't just matter. Black Lives are beautiful. Black Lives are worthy. Black Lives are needed. Just matter. And you know, of course, in the eyes of God, all lives matter. But the problem of injustice is that for all lives to matter, for all lives to be beautiful, black lives need to matter more. Because in our, in our racial, racialized world, unfortunately, our, our black and brown brothers and sisters have not experienced some of the same privileges that we have. Biblical justice doesn't just bring punishment, but it brings protection for the marginalized. And then also biblical justice, it addresses the real root of the issue. Biblical justice has a biblical view of sin. You know, if I were to ask you what leads to injustice, what would you say? I, I think many Christians, we'd say sin, and that's true. But we need to understand the full scope of sin. 
Many of us have a poor view of sin. We have, too, we have a too narrow, Americanized, individualistic view of sin. We think sin is simply the moral wrong choices that we make, and we miss the way sin's pervasiveness, that it's like a pandemic that affects everything. And it doesn't just affect the decisions I make, but it affects the decisions and systems that we collectively make and operate in. You know, we see this in the beginning of Genesis when when Adam and Eve rebel against God, sin enters in the world, and it, and it affects everything. It affects our relationship with God. They're hiding from God. It affects how they view themselves. They're they're covering themselves. They live in. They feel experience shame. It affects how they relate with one another. They start blaming each other. It affects their relationship to work. It affects their relationship to childbearing. It affects the their relationship to the created world. Sin is pervasive. And and to not friends to not understand that it 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 misses the way scripture not just views sin but the dynamics of power in our world it misses what it means to be human and it and the cultures in which we we grow up in and are socially conditioned to view life through you know none of us enter into the world as a blank slate we're all conditioned we all have values and views that are shaped by the culture that we find ourselves in. And that's why the Bible and, and most cultures of the world outside of, of the Western culture, it, it, it's why it understands and it traces um, the fruit of what we have now in life to decisions that have been made in the past. One example is in Daniel chapter nine. Daniel, this prophet, this amazingly courageous man, he's praying to God. And listen to what he says. He says, I prayed to the Lord, my God, confessing in this way. He wants to, he wants to share what he's confessing. Oh, great, oh, Lord, great and awesome God, who is faithful to his covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. You see that? He doesn't just say, I have sinned. We have sinned. We have done what is wrong and wicked. We have rebelled by turning away from your commandments and standards. Then he goes on and continues. But he, he Brings it this way in verse 15. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with great power and made a name for yourself that is remembered to this day, we have sinned and behaved wickedly. O Lord, according to all your justice, please turn your raging anger away from your city in Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Listen to here. For due to our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people are mocked by all our neighbors. Our sins and our ancestors. Uh, we want to we come to Daniel and say, Daniel, no, no, Daniel, no, you are not responsible for the sins of your ancestors. And to a, a, po- a certain point, that is true. He was not the one who made those decisions, but he's living amidst the fruit of the decisions that were made before him. It's common for white people in America today to think, why can't we get past racism? Why would I be called why am I held responsible? I wasn't the one who made those decisions. And there's truth in that, but we are responsible and we're held accountable for how we address the fruit of the seeds of racism that were planted years ago, the fruit of how that manifests today. You see, justice understands the full pervasive nature of sin, that it is not just personal, it is systemic. And then And only by understanding that nature can it really enter in to address it. And this is our fourth uh, takeaway of biblical justice. Uh, Biblical justice requires sacrifice 
to enter in and empower others to flourish. Biblical justice requires sacrificing. It requires giving something up. We, a part, part of giving something up is, is putting in the time to learn, to learn about white supremacy, the, the idea that, that um, ingrained in many of us is just, just because it's white, it's right. And we don't think that. We don't actively think that way. But we're, it's so ingrained in us that neighborhoods that might uh, um, have predominant minorities, we look at it as those are sketchy and to be avoided. Almost we're afraid to enter into them. It's why, as uh, Reverend Kevin Dudley shared on our panel a few years ago, you know, when he he's a teacher in seminary and there's theology that's shaped by a European theologian, there's just black liberation theology or Latino theology. Why is it white theology theology? And black theology, black, this is white supremacy. It's the concept that just if it's white and from white culture, you know, reinforced by white values, it's right. And if it's um, a person of color, even that very terminology, a person of color, and what, why aren't what? Uh, you see, this is it, 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 this is white supremacy. But you see, we don't, we don't as if you're white, we don't experience it. So it takes work. To, to have the blinders pulled back and to grow in awareness. That to pursue justice requires sacrifice. It requires a willingness to give something up in order to address it. And it's not just the work of, of intentionally learning. It requires sacrifice of money. You know, you have to be generous with your time and resources to bring justice. It requires sacrifice of reputation. You know, you'll be criticized. When you start entering into justice, you're going to be criticized by conservatives and liberals. It, it requires giving up comfort. It is so uncomfortable to be about entering into justice. We, we make mistakes. We, you know, we're just starting out and there, there's things we don't even know that we do that are somewhat offensive. And yet, and yet, it, Jesus and the Bible require. We must be willing to set aside comfort and money and the hard work of learning to really engage, to really enter in. And, and that's what it requires, friends. Justice is not a project that happens on a Saturday. It's a life. And that's what I encourage you to. I, I want you. I don't want to shame you into justice. I don't. And if we're motivated by any sense of like guilt, it, it, it won't last. It becomes about us. I want us to capture the biblical vision that God is so passionate for people. And he invites us. We have the joyous invitation of joining him in that work. And it can become the chief passion of our life. And then lastly, biblical justice, the only way it will is uh, when we receive mercy. Justice requires experiencing God's grace. If we're going to live a life of sustained justice and care for others, we need to understand we're justified by, with God through Christ's finished work. Paul says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, <laughs> every ethnicity, every nation, every human, and are justified by his grace as a gift. That means we're made right with God by Jesus and his grace as a gift. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a covering by his blood to be received by faith. Here's what, here's what this means. If we're going to be made right with God, it happens through faith in Jesus' finished work. That Jesus entered this world, the one righteous person, and died the most unjust death on a sinner's cross. And he rose again, defeating death that we, that we might rise, that we might enter into the kingdom of God and we might be a people being justified by God that extend that justice socially. Friends, we have the joyous privilege of uniting in God, joining God in his work of transformation and renewal. Will you join in? It'll be work. It'll require sacrifice. It will be hard. There will be times we we will want to quit, but may the grace of God that saves us and the love of God compel us to enter into the cares of God in the world in which we find ourselves in today. We cannot go back to right all the wrongs of the past, but we can right the wrongs that the past has brought to us today. May we be faithful to do it. Lord, thank you for being a God of justice. Strengthen us. To anyone who's listening and and they they fear, maybe pastor's gone liberal, maybe pastor's not evangelical anymore, maybe pastor's not. God, right now, by your spirit, root them in your word. May they, may we all, really get in touch with your priorities. It's in Jesus' name we pray.